so much for giving us this, uh, this gift, the word, um, that we might encounter you in it, that we might uh, find you in the pages uh, and find your will for our lives. Uh, we pray for our friends in Haiti at Restoration Ministries. We pray for uh, Place of Hope and uh, World Vision. All this, uh, Every place that we've invested in our lives, we, we pray uh, that you would be with them. Uh, and, and Lord, I'd love to pray that you'd bless them, but when, when you, someone's already, you know, when they're feeding the hungry and serving the poor, they're already doing what you're doing, so they're blessed by the very virtue of that. So thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, yeah, so Shannon does send her greetings. She's really bummed uh, that she couldn't join us tonight. Um, that being said, if she shows up and there are no kids, we might need to send one of you down to pie on this guy to pick him up, because that means she left him. Uh, which, judging from the tone I heard on the phone a little bit earlier this evening, that might have been an option. The man-child, I don't know what it is, because this is our first boy. We've had three girls, and in fairness, like, at the age of 12, something happens, this thing called estrogen. Like, wow. Like, Maddie stormed off the other day. It's been about a month now. told me that I'd ruined her life. I'm like, you're 12. You don't have a life. Like, what do you, uh, ruined it? Anyway, no, I didn't say that. I'm like, no, daddy, the, you know, let daddy. Anyway, uh, but the other side of that spectrum is the man-child, okay? Three-year-old testosterone, I'm just saying, is real. Like, when he was, like, like when he was no years old, he would sit in the, in the, uh, in the high chair and just clench his fists. And, you know, he didn't know what else to do. That was the only thing. He didn't have any options. He couldn't move or talk or whatever. So he just, like, and... <laughs> And that is exactly what he would do. He'd just clench it. <laughs> and, and now he'll come running down and go, number one, and then tackle his sisters. And, you know, it's just, <laughs> that's what Shannon's been dealing with all day. And, uh, and I want you to know that there are moments in his life when he understands that this is going to, that there will be a spanking, okay? And he assesses that as the cost of doing business. I mean, basically, <laughs> says, you know what? It's, I've been through that before. It ain't that bad. Uh, it's worth, you know, it's worth the payment that I got to make on it. So, um, yeah. All right. Chap- uh, Exodus chapter four. Um, if you're visiting us tonight, the way we generally uh, dive in is I will, uh, I'll read through, I'll talk for just a few minutes on some stuff that, that kind of jumped out at me, but take mental notes as, as we're doing this, or if you have a pen or a paper, take uh, physical notes. Um, because selfishly, if, even if. Um, my favorite part is when we all kind of talk about it because every week you guys say things that, that jump out at me, that stand out to me, that, that, that minister back to me. So for no other reason for me, I would appreciate it if you'd listen. Um, Micah, thanks for that picture on the whiteboard that I really appreciated that. Uh, uh, Exodus chapter 4, which is on page uh, 54. I know that was funny like three years ago. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Now, by the way, in verse 13 of chapter 3, what did God say? They will listen to you. And here's Moses, but what if they won't listen to me? Kind of reminds me of me. He says, but what if they won't listen to me? And the Lord said, what is that in your hand, Moses? And if you're an underliner, a highlighter, hey, look, everyone. See, I'll teach you to be late. Um... You got to go sit out in the Christmas village now. 
No, you got to sit up here in the guest seat. Right? No, that no, that, that was the one I was talking about. If I'm being honest, the Lord said to him, "What is that in your hand?" That is something that uh, we're going to come back to. So if you're, again, an underliner, a highlighter, a, uh, a guy that likes to look spiritual when you're sitting by people in church, like, hey, look, I've already underlined that. Um, you can underline that. We're coming back to it. A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, great, throw it on the ground. He says in uh, verse 3, Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. And Moses ran from it. Now, I like to think he probably screamed like a girl. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if you're God, that's funny. You know what I'm saying? I don't care who you are. That's funny. Throw it on the ground. It's a snake. Ah! <laughs> I mean, anyway, I mean, I appreciate Moses living in the desert, but he ran from the snake. Okay. And the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take, take it by the tail. Again, if you're Moses, you're like, look, that, no. <laughs> like, I, I pre- no. <laughs> and so Moses reached out took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Plus, it's a a neat parlor trick. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand in the back, of, uh, back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, then take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Lord, I've been eloquent. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past. Sort of ironic, isn't it, that I messed up that statement? Anyway, eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Thinking James says, Moses, who made your mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But... Moses said, okay, look, God, please send someone else to do it, right? This is a big ticket job. Please send someone else. It's funny because 40 years earlier, I mean, Moses is Johnny on the spot, you know? He sees a need, he goes and he attacks the Egyptian, and and now here it is 40 years later, he's like, okay, look, I've been to that rodeo, please send someone else. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. He ticked him off, basically. He's like, look, dude, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him, put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take his staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs in it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt, and see if any of them are still alive. And Jethro said, go, I wish you will. He's 80 years old, asking permission for dad. Can I go, please? Please? Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. 
he took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you return, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. You see, God needed, desired to show the entire culture, the entire people of Egypt, his miraculous signs. And if you, if your student is, then we'll maybe talk about this and unpack it in, in the weeks to come. But, and I've said it, I actually have said the wrong number last week. It's actually 14 times that it, that it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And you'll notice that seven times it says that Pharaoh hardened it. And seven times it says that God hardened it. So did God harden it or did Pharaoh harden it? Yes. And it's a caution to you or maybe to me because if you harden your heart and you continue to harden your heart, eventually God just agrees with you. God, God didn't make Pharaoh do something. That was who Pharaoh was, and God was agreeing with who he was. And it says, uh, Then say to Pharaoh, verse 22, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Not a good place to be, by the way. But Zipporah took a flint knife. Mm, I almost don't want to read this out loud. Cut off her husband's son, I mean her son's foreskin, and uh, makes me uncomfortable, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. The bridegroom of blood. Man, I get to, my wife has called me a lot of things, but never that. Thank God. So the Lord left him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Probably on the cheek. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. Hey, Ben, would you mind checking to see if we're clipping on it this week, too? That was the other thing, that, that, that complaint, like if it's clipping too much. I tend to have a booming sort of James Earl Jones voice. At least that's what I think. <laughs> I think God already did. <laughs> I think that was fixed a long time ago. Um, the things that really stood out to me when I read this, okay, was Moses completely unqualified for this gig. I feel like that a lot. I don't know if you do or not. <laughs> Moses uh, called to do a job bigger than he was, just was. And God tooled him with three things that if you're a note taker, and if you've been around, you know I'm, not a, I'm not usually not a point one, two, three kind of guy. But three things kind of jumped out to me as I was, as I was reading this, as I uh, read some commentaries and listened and uh, thought, okay, God, what is it? But God gave him three things. Tools, so to speak, in his tool, uh, toolbox that honestly apply to me, they apply to you. The first one, God said to Moses, what's in your hand? His staff was what was in his hand. It was what he did for 40 years. And that's, to me, jumped out because the question maybe you're asking of yourself is, 
well, what am I supposed to do? I'm a, I'm, 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 I'm a believer. I want to serve the Lord. I want, to, I want to do something in the kingdom. But what do I do? I don't know what to do. And I think that God would say to you, would say to me, what's in your hand? Start with what is it that you're doing? What, is, what, what gifting do you have? And uh, it's important, if you've got your Bible with you, Romans 12, and we don't have a lot of time, but I want to, I guess, impart and plant something. And then you can maybe come back to it and think about it later. But Romans 12 is where we, we hear about the gifts of the Spirit, right? Um, interesting, by the way, because a lot of people say, yeah, but so does 1 Corinthians 12 talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, the original version, when, when, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, that word gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 wasn't there, okay? It's... Uh, a word that it might best be translated as operations, okay? But we just didn't have that word, so they called it gifts. And, and that's important because absolutely those are things that, that the Spirit can operate through us, operate in us. And, and yeah, absolutely we could use the word gifts, but it's better translated as the Spirit moving in us. As far as the gifts of the Spirit, okay, where it refers to them is Romans 12. And it talks about, we have different gifts, verse 6. According to the grace given us, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. Teaching, let him teach. Encouraging, let him encourage. Giving, contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Those are the gifts of the Spirit. That's what God gave you, God gave me, these gifts. And if you notice, it sort of looks a little bit like personality test, doesn't it? I have the, I'm a merciful person, which, by the way, apparently I don't test very high on the mercy thing. My wife finds that to be not surprising. I was like, really? I'm a, I... Anyway, the gifts of the Spirit are right here. They're laid out for us. They're what God put in us. Notice what it didn't say, by the way. Uh, whoever God had to play the guitar, let him play it well. If you can sing, because the fact is, is that there's a lot of us, okay, me, just not very talented people. You don't go to the bench because you can't sing or you can't act or you can't, you know, you know what I'm saying? That, that these, those are talents, okay? But these are the gifts. Your talent, by the way, is a highway on which your gift can travel. If you can play the guitar, if you can sing, if you can act, if you can, uh, whatever your, your, your talent might be. Let your gift, if it's giving, flow on that highway, so to speak. So you're giving of your time with your guitar. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're leading, in a, maybe you're a band leader. The, 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 I mean, I, I'm going music just because that's where my brain is right now. But that applies in all of, all of life, in your job, in your you know, web design company, in your, your home company, whatever it is. Let your talent be a tool, but your gift is right here. And we make it kind of hard, right? Because... I don't know what to do. I, you know, what is God's will for my life? I'm trying to find God's will for my life, which denotes that it's hidden, by the way. It denotes that God is hiding it from you, and you're trying to find it. And I would say to you tonight, I would say to me, what's in your hand? What is the gift that God is in? What is your gig right now? And how can God say to you, say to me, how can I use that in your life? Do, do, do you smell what I'm stepping in? It's God's gift to you is right in front of you. And it's not hard. It's like if I, I did this a long time ago, I actually spoke at a, a church and I had a kid uh, planted to bring up a glass of water to me. And he tripped as he came up the stairs and spilled the water. 
Um, and of course, it spooked a bunch of people, and one guy jumped up to go get a mop, and you know. But the point was that your their reaction at that moment is if someone else were to come in here tonight and dump over a glass of water, the reaction to that is probably your gifting, right? If if you're the one that jumps up to go and to you know to clean it, maybe you're the gift of service. If you're the guy that wants to you know pay to get that cleaned up. You know, maybe your gift is giving. If you're the guy that wants to say, look, in the original Greek, the word glass actually was, you know, that maybe you're a teacher. You know, <laughs> if, you're, if, if you're the prophecy guy, you're like, look, thus saith the Lord, you know, you're screwed. Don't do that again. All right. The, whatever your gift is, is kind of how you react in a situation. And I just say to you, what situations are you finding yourselves in? And how can God use and work through you in that situation? Just start right there. What's in your hand? What's it that's important to you that you're good at and that, that God has uh, blessed you with? And then I find this sort of interesting because he says, take that, Moses, and throw it down. You're like, what? The gift ministry okay, is a seductress. It's a thing that can suck you in and get you to the point where you literally are serving the ministry and not the master. And the road is littered with ministers who have fallen more in love with the ministry than they were in love with the Lord. That breakdown is what starts your paths diverging, where you're there to, that's your job now, not something you're doing for the master. It's, it's, a moment, and I think and maybe some of you have been there where you've had to lay down your gift. Because let me tell you what, if you're really in love with the Lord, you know, if you don't willingly lay, lay it down sometimes, he'll pull it away just to remind you and bring you back to the fact that this is what he had for you from the start. When I was a little guy, I would stay up late at night with my flashlight. I'm kind of embarrassed, but it's true. And I would read like the, I'd put my blanket over my head and read the Old Testament. I was obsessed with the Bible, okay? God had put a gift in me and it was, I say a gift, it felt like a curse because it was like this rabid curiosity that got me in trouble all the time. You know, I was the kid that would stick my finger into the light socket. I was literally, when I left the house, every outlet in my room was charred black from experiments that I had done and radios that didn't make it, you know, uh, dual cassette players and things because I just was curious all the time. I had forgotten that gift, forgotten that love for curiosity that, that drove me to the word. And it was laid down for a long time. I'd laid it down, not necessarily willingly, but I just, it was gone. And then God eventually had me to pick it back up in a little thing called Nashville Metro Bible Study. And I remember that this was, when we first started that Bible study, I was, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I thought that, you know, I don't know, people that were in their 20s wanted to hear about the three Ds of dating or something. You know, I don't, because that, that's what you see on, you know, that's what people do. But what I learned was that we have a passion and a love for the word and that God's, and it isn't because I'm so smart. It really might just be because I'm so stupid that I'd literally have to look and think and chew and make it so I can understand it. And if I can understand it, then anybody can. I mean, really. And so that's kind of what God did in me. And that was what was in my hand. That was my staff. And I picked it back up. And what Moses did, by the way, is he picked it up by what? The tail. No longer by the head because he owned it at that point. It didn't own him. He commanded it, and God put it in his hand. So number one in your toolkit is what's in your hand. What's your gift? What's God put in you? The second thing in the toolkit is, is really fascinating because Moses, he kind of goes Napoleon on it, right? He puts his hand in his cloak on his heart, and he pulls it out, and it's leprous at that point, okay? Full of leprosy. Leprosy in the Bible, always a sign of a, a sin, a type of sin. So he pulls it out, and it's leprous, and he puts it back in. 
And he pulls it out and it's clean and it's whole. And what that speaks to me is Moses telling my story, which was that I was a guy that was in sin, that was messed up, that God came in, hand on my heart and and restored me. And my story, your story, is a tool in your box. When we were at Metro Bible Study, we had a little thing we do uh, every week. Maybe, maybe we should bring it back, but it was my story. And it would, we'd, we'd just, someone would get up here and stand in front of the little, you know, the, the, the Mac and tell their story for five minutes and we'd put it online. And, and it was just their story. At our church here at Journey, we actually, you know, you know, that's part of the dynamic is telling your story. And if you remember, think about this with me for a little bit. Because one of the things that I'm tempted to do, maybe that you're tempted to do, is what Paul was tempted to do when he got to Athens, okay? He stood up, it says, I think it's Acts 18. It's somewhere between 10 and 20, okay? I'm going to narrow that down. He stands up in Athens, the cultural center of that place. These people, it was like New York or L.A., okay? Smart people. So what he does, and, and, and read it through, he, he begins to do this sermon, and he's bringing in about their gods, and he's making it culturally relevant. You know what I'm saying? And he tells the, the story and weaves in their dynamic. Doesn't mention Jesus, by the way. Brings in to weave the story that's not offensive to this people. In Athens, hardly anybody gets saved. There's no church planted in Athens. It's one of the worst responses Paul ever received. It might be, okay, why he says later, and we'll get to that in a minute, but he, he, when he gets to Corinthians, he, he says that, you know, in 1 Corinthians 1, I don't come to you with eloquency of speech or excellency in speech. I just come with Christ and, and him crucified, which is the third part of this dynamic, which is the truth. Because he says to them, after he, he tells his story, after he shares his story, and by the way, there's also a point where Paul stands up, and I don't believe it, I don't remember if it's in Corinth, but read through Acts 1. If you ever, you know, look, if you're looking for a place to study, the book of Acts is amazing. But he stands up at one moment, I think it's in Corinth, but I don't remember, so, you know, look it up and email me. But he stands up and he says, this is my apologia, okay? Apologia, where we get our words apologetics, it's his argument for the faith. And that time he didn't give the eloquent speech, he gives his testimony. Here's what happened to me. Here's my story. I was blind and on this road, and I used to kill all you guys, and now God has restored me. And that was his story. And a bunch of people got saved. Uh, if you remember the story when Jesus had just fed the 5,000, and they'd gotten into a boat, and they had, the disciples had forgotten they had like how many baskets left over, 12 baskets. And they'd gotten into the boat, and they'd sailed off, and they had forgotten the baskets. And it says that Jesus scolded them, you know, and it says they were confused because they didn't understand about the loaves. Why would Jesus have scolded them? Because he could have made more bread, right? Achoo, bread. I don't know that he was angry because they were wasting food. It was because they had forgotten already what God had done in their lives. How easy it is to forget what God has done in my life. I challenge you to do what I've done from time to time, and that's just Write down things that God is doing in your life. Write down those moments, those bread baskets, if you will, so that they're a reminder of what God has done for you. Because not only do they bolster your faith, not only do they build your own faith. I mean, in one of my biggest moments in crisis of faith, is that the correct plural of crisis, by the way? Crisis? Huh. In need, crises. There's the editor right there. <laughs> a crisis of faith. 
I was in Bible college. I was having the whole thing. Maybe you've gone through the, I wonder if God's even real. And I remembered something that God had done for me a long time before that. I'd kicked my big brother in the toe when I was in fifth grade with my bare feet, okay? Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the sound of a toe breaking, a big toe, but I want you to know it's loud and it's painful. And it broke a lot. And, I mean, like, really a lot. And I cried. Like, I mean, I might have even wailed. Do you know what I mean? Like, bordering on wailing. But that toe was broken, okay? I couldn't walk on it. I was on crutches. And I remember Elizabeth Pruitt had come through town, okay? And Elizabeth Pruitt was this tall woman evangelist, okay? And she had, I remember it because she had, like, the legs, like, with the double joints in the knee. So when she'd stand, like, her legs would go backwards. It was kind of, you know, I was in fifth, I don't know, I was in fifth grade. What do you remember, right, you know? Elizabeth Pruitt laid her hands on me that night, and I, my big toe got healed. I mean, like, all the way. Fifth grade, bam, like, healed. And I forgot about it. You know, but God, the, the word is full of remember, remember, remember. Remember, not subconsciously, but consciously remember. Make yourself remember. And I remember that night remembering, oh, I'm an idiot. He healed my big toe. He's real. And I know that sounds so stupid. <laughs> But that breadbasket is what carried me through, and it was, a, it was a journey from there, but I was able to at least start from the moment of God is real. He healed my big toe, right? How cheesy is that? But he did. So the story that isn't just for you, it's also for others. It bolsters your faith. It bolsters the faith in the others. And then the third thing is the truth, okay? Because what he said to Moses, so you're, you're not only just uh, your story, your faith, right? Not just your gift, but the truth. This is the third tool that I see in a toolbox. And that is, he said to him to do what? To take that bucket of water from the Nile. The Nile, which was the center of life of that place, okay? I was on the Nile about a month and a half ago. And I want you to know, a lot of hippos on the Nile, okay? In fact, I'd been taking pictures. And about like the 400th hippo, I'm thinking, I just got to stop taking pictures because it's all the same picture. It's like, you know, little hippo looking up over the water. Or <laughs> How many of those do you need, right? <laughs> And just, you know, as I suspected, my, you know, my kids were like really thrilled with about two of them. They wanted to move on to the big ticket item, the, you know, the, you know, the lion, which we saw as well. So, but on the Nile River, which was the lifeblood of that place, their center of cultural activity, their life. And he said to him, take it out and to dump it on the ground and it would become blood. It would become death. It was the wages of sin is what? Death. And it was a reminder for me that whatever I'm doing with my hand, okay, the, the people that we're feeding in Haiti today, the people that, in, that are in place of hope right now, who's, who are being restored to their families, whatever we're doing with our hand, with, with our gift, whatever I'm doing with my story and telling people what God has done in me, I've got to take it to that last step, and that's the truth. And the truth is what came from Jesus' side when he was stabbed. It was water and blood. The truth, the cross. Jesus said, if I be lifted high, I will draw all men unto me. And I love it because, and I I hate to ruin worship for you guys, but Jesus, when he said high and lifted up, John said he spoke that of the death that he was going to die. So when we talk about high and lifted up, I loved it. You know, we love the big, the cloud, the majestic, maybe with a hand outstretched pose, Jesus, right? Open the eyes of my heart, high and lifted up. He was talking about the cross, He was talking about the death that he was to die. And if we bring it to that, God says, I will, Jesus, I'll draw all men unto me from the death that I'm to die. And 
That's germane. It's important because I don't have to feel the pressure to close the deal. I don't have to feel pressure to win the argument. I just take it back to the cross. And to me personally, that's a challenge because, you know, how many times do we take it there to the cross? And we're funding and we're financing and we're supplying people like Lafleur in Haiti and Mike Coop here that absolutely take it to the cross. That is it. The food, everything else, the sandwiches, the, the things that we're doing and serving is all about the ultimate salvation, not just a physical salvation, but an eternal salvation. And it's the truth. And the truth is that Jesus paid the price. The wages of sin is death. And I've sinned and I have a big paycheck coming to me, but Jesus cashed it for me. It's as simple as that. Jesus took that cash and said, I'll take that one, put it into my, said, I'll count it unto you as righteousness, a financial term. Count it unto me as that, count it unto you as that. And that's it. That's the truth. And that is us taking a bucket of water, the truth, the word, and showing that Jesus, that the life center of Egypt, the life center of our culture, whatever those things are, if we simplify it and just take it back to the cross with the gift that's in our hand, with the story that's in our heart and the truth. That's all around us. Does, does this make sense? Right. Let's pray. And then I want to ask you what, what you saw when you read Exodus 4 with me tonight. So, Father, we pray that these words uh, are meaningful to my friends that have gathered here tonight. I know they're meaningful to me. Uh, it's not words that I bring of eloquence or excellency, but your word, God, that we're diving deep into. We ask for it to... to uh, to do what the word does in our lives. It's, it's, it's water. It softens, it cleans, it cleanses us. And we ask for you to perform that in our lives tonight in Jesus name. Amen. So what did you guys see when you read Exodus four? How about Jay, you always get your commentary? <laughs> no pressure to perform. Tony, go let the Lord lead you.